Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Welcome to this special episode of Hometown Glory. I'm Charlie and delighted to welcome a guest whose voice will need very little introduction. Since 2018, he's soundtracked the Tottenham Hotspur roller coaster as the wildly popular voice of Spurs TV. She also meant, of course, having a starring role alongside Jose Mourinho and Tom Hardy on the All or Nothing documentary. He also hosts the official Champions League podcast and radio show, commentates on Premier League games for Premier Sports in Ireland and a number of broadcasters around the world, plus various work on European leagues. Rob Daly, it's a pleasure to have you on Hometown Glory. How are you? I'm good, Charlie. Thanks for the lovely introduction. And um, yeah, I'm delighted to be here. Like, I, I, I love talking about the club. I love talking about football. Uh, you know, I'm, I think I'm just like you guys. I listen to your show and I do love your show as well. I love the mixture of um, the fact you talk about Spurs and then get into a bit of culture stuff. So I'm looking forward to doing a, a bit of that too, if you'll indulge it. So um, absolutely, lo- lo- lovely to be here. And um, yeah, let's get into it. It's a pleasure to have you. Um, You're a very busy man. Spurs are playing every sort of 48 hours at the minute, it seems, and you've got a ton of other stuff as well. Tell me, how's this season been for you? I mean, you seem to be taking on more work than ever. Yeah, new gig uh, this season, which is working for Premier Sports. Premier Sports is in the UK, uh, but they they have the three o'clock kickoff in Ireland. We can't show that here, obviously. So Mm -hmm. I'll go over and do that. And it's really good fun. They've got great pundits, all Ireland ex-Ireland internationals and you know people like John O'Shea, Shea Given, Damien Delaney and Gary Breen who I do the commentary with you know just a great bunch of really great bunch of people and then Spurs of course you know that's the majority of my work it keeps me really busy Spurs end up playing normally about 60 games a season something like that mm. season and you know it, it extended cups and everything um, so it's it's such a great job it really is a lot of fun um, and it has been busy and I'm actually looking forward to I'm looking forward to the summer off, if I'm honest, mate. Ever since, ever since the pandemic, it's just been... And since uh, we kept, football came out of the pandemic in mm. uh, May, June 2020, I feel like I haven't had a, a week yeah. off, and I'm not complaining here, but I am looking forward to the end of the season, Spurs finishing fourth, 
and everything <laughs> <laughs> and everything, everything being right with the world. I mean, this is your it's your fourth season covering Spurs. So in that yeah. time, you'll have covered Spurs from three different home stadiums. If we include that night in Milton Keynes and the Carabao, <laughs> they'll have had four four different managers, and they've played in three different European competitions. Um, I don't imagine when you signed up. So you would have signed up just so Spurs were at Wembley, right? At that That's point. right. Yeah, yeah. And you know everything was looking rosy under under Poch. You know Spurs a club on the up. I don't imagine you had in mind that you would have to sort of just be across so much drama and a club that's gone through the ringer in so many different ways, right? I I, I don't. I certainly didn't. And I don't think that in terms of drama, I don't think there's been a club that's rivaled it actually in that time. Over the past four mm. years, if we're going from the stadium move, the delayed stadium move, the Champions League final run, Jose Mourinho, Poch gone, like club hero gone, all these unbelievable players, you know, coming, going. It, it's just been it's just been crazy. And like. I, you know, if someone said at the start, of the, you know, at the start of that season, the whole idea was that the club were ramping up because this new stadium move was happening. So mm. we're investing more money in the club TV. It's going to be X, Y, Z. We're expanding all our coverage of everything, as we've seen with N17, um, yeah. like Ben and, and Marzi, which I do, and Michael Dawson and people like that that we do that with. And then, um, but I couldn't have, <clears throat> I couldn't have imagined that it'd be a Champions League final win in nine, ten months. It was, it was an extraordinary season. But I think actually that season, um, anyone who who saw Spurs, who watched Spurs every week, as you do, mm. knew that even though the team reached a Champions League final, something was up with the team. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really felt it from January, December, January time, maybe even from uh, yeah, yeah, around that time, you just knew something was. The team wasn't right. It wasn't functioning right. They were winning games and they were in the title race actually for quite a long time that season. But you knew that something was up. And then from from roughly that moment, <clears throat> and I think some people would even say the end of 17, 18, mm. there's been there's been this wild, wild ride, which still we're still on. I mean, at the moment it's it's up and down every game. This is the it? thing. I mean, it's I'm loath to even um address any sort of the of the most recent Spurs drama because you know, it feels like in 24 hours the roller coaster can go back up to the top, and you're, you know, feeling like top four's on. 24 hours after that, you feel like actually let's just finish eighth, so we don't have to, you know, bother with the conference <laughs> next season. And you know, Conte's going to go, Kane's going to go. It's all, it's all disaster again. Exactly. I mean, even like, even like last week. So it's Everton, the five nil. We had a great yeah. time. Um, <clears throat> great time on the. Um, who was it on your show? Who gave away their ticket? On the, um, on, the, on the last edition of the show, Rosa gave away her ticket for that one. Yeah, yeah. It was a huge because that was a great atmosphere, great game, great performance, all the rest of it. So you're thinking, oh, here we go, Kane's best strike in the world. All that, all that business is going on, and then suddenly, I mean, I, I don't know if we're going to get into the United game, but I actually thought Spurs played quite well, actually, but still just got undone by some brilliance from um, from Ronaldo, obviously. So again, another week where it's just boom, mega high Monday, and then boom maybe a really damaging defeat in the Champions League race. Yeah, it's um, it's exhausting. I mean, being a Spurs <laughs> fan in general is exhausting, but this this season just feel, and I, I, you know, I feel like Conte kind of adds to it in that, you know, you're never quite sure which Conte, you can, well, maybe you can guess these days if it's a defeat, you know, which Conte you're going to get. But yeah, it's it's kind of added to the um, general levels of exhaustion that I think we're all feeling. Um, 
tell me a little bit before we get into our our main Spurs seven questions, Rob. Tell me a little bit about your path into commentary. How did you? How did the sort of bug get you for for commentating on football? What was your journey into it all? Okay, so I I loved commentary anyway as a kid and would do it in the garden and all that stuff. Who was your, your favourite? Who was your favourite? Oh, mine, Tyler. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I love. I loved Martin Tyler. I, we didn't have Sky, so I'd go around my friend's house, and he had Sky, and it was Martin Tyler. Everything just felt like so great. Like I just loved Sky's coverage, particularly in that time, sort of nineties, you know, mid nineties mm. Sky coverage. Um, and um, yeah, so Martin Tyler was a guy, and then I, I, I sort of grew out of that a little bit mid teens. I was like, right, you need to find an actual thing you could do, and then. Um, about eighteen, I decided actually I'll take a gap year and go be a journalist, and then I was a news journalist for uh quite a few years and working for radio stations reading news bulletins and interviewing people i did journalism at uni blah 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 and then occasionally it'd be like do you want to go cover because i'm from essex it'd be like do you want to go cover colchester united this weekend go down to layer road interview phil parkinson do you want to go up to ipswich yeah i'll cover ipswich joe royal and stuff like that and then um, eventually i could phase out on the news and eventually it wasn't just solely sport that i was covering at weekends it was football all week and then really from 2010 i've been doing it football exclusively but mm. yeah i've been doing i've been in broadcasting and journalism for september september 2004 so nearly nearly 18 years quite a long time but um yes yeah, so now um, mainly i just commentate yeah it's commentary feels like one of those quite exclusive clubs that's a pretty tough nut to crack in that you know the sort of top dogs tend to stay in their seats for you know literal decades at times how, how when you're starting out is that quite a is it quite a daunting thing to you know a daunting mountain to feel like you're attempting to climb it feels more daunting now because right. when you start you're just so happy to be in yeah. when you get in when someone says uh, do you want to go to Dagenham and cover Dagenham Chesterfield you cannot believe your luck <laughs> you know if you if you're 22 or whatever you just yeah absolutely you yeah you can't believe it someone's going to pay me like back then probably about 40 quid to go down there and no mileage or nothing and you'd go and I couldn't I couldn't believe my luck so then you just and then you just bump up the industry and then mm. um you know I'd love to be on match of the day one day and my voice has been on there a few times I'd love to be on sky sports one day and my voice has been on there a few times indirectly um so now it just seems yeah there, um, but there are this category of unbelievable commentators it's a good observation because it's true that these guys stick around forever because um the commentary is interesting because when you watch a game, you don't get to pick who you watch it with in mm. this instance. Like you're just given a commentator. So when a broadcaster finds someone that uh, people like and feels like a warm presence so they can watch football with, they'll just keep them. Yeah. Because football fans are, you know, a fickle bunch. We all are, you know, as football fans. And, you know, they you don't want to disrupt it a little bit too much. And some of those guys, like, you know, t- I know, t- you know, some people had varying opinions on Martin Tyler. I still absolutely adore him. Steve Wilson, who I work with on Match of the Day and BBC, is just like unbelievable, unbelievable mm. commentator. So it's very, it's a very specific job. And actually, now thinking about getting to that level is actually yeah. probably more intimidating now. Um, well, you're certainly making it. I feel like this season in particular, you seem to have really made a splash with Spurs. I feel like I've been reading. I think the, the sort of Bergvine and Leicester game seemed to be a bit of a tipping point, and I, I read a few really quite interesting pieces about the kind of I guess cult of sort of club commentators and that sweet spot that that you have to find I guess where you know you're not commentating from a purely neutral perspective but you don't want it to be fan tv you don't want it to be so 
partisan that it just sounds utterly ridiculous. That sweet spot must take some work, I imagine. And going into that first season working for Spurs was, I imagine it must have been quite a daunting thing to find that find that place where you felt like you were, you know, doing a good job and servicing fans without it sort of becoming just fan TV. Exactly. <clears throat> Again, that's really right. I mean, because I mean, the thing with goals now, especially for something like Spurs TV, is what you say for a goal lives for ages. It isn't mm. just like if you're doing the club's radio service, for example, and you scream and go, yes, 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 they've done it. You know, just go absolutely berserk. That just drifts off into the atmosphere normally and you never hear it again. Whereas mm. I'm, I'm very aware that, you know, I'm not live. I'm not going out live anywhere when I do the game. I do the games live, obviously, but we're not, you can't watch my commentary live. Uh, but I'm very conscious that the longevity of these goals and moments, these live on for a long time. And mm. that's why you sort of have to <laughs> compose it. Because with Bergvine, and Bergvine was a game changer, really, in terms of probably the way that Spurs fans see me and recognize me, you know, it, ever, ever since that game, no one would go, I used to walk around the stadium, no problem. No, no one recognized me or anything, even when I did N17. And now people, people just come up and say, hello, that's so lovely. Like, unbelievable. That Bergvine goal was like um, a bit of a game changer, really. And mm. um, I mean, I felt like I got a lot of credit. I think Bergvine should have got a bit more credit <laughs> than I did. But, um, maybe if he uh, maybe if he did one more useful thing since that he might have got a bit more credit. But I know. Um, bless, I mean, I thought he had that equaliser against uh, Southampton, but he was oh just God, God, yeah, forget about that. Yeah, I thought it was three three. I thought he'd done it again, and then um, but no. And Spurs fans are just unbelievably nice to me. It's a real, really, really nice to have that. You know, uh, you know, and you you came in and took the job. I mean, you know, it'd been done by by someone for a long, long time. So that must have been an extra level of you know, sort of, oh God, I'm, I'm also stepping into the shoes of a, of a long time sort of servant of the club, really. That's right. Yeah. Daniel still, still works for the club. He does like the in-stadium sort of radio mm. kind of, kind of commentary. So of course, and you know, it's, you know, you, you also, because the goal, the moments like really belong to fans, I'm not trying to sound like cheesy here. Yeah. You feel this burden to get those moments right and sort of deliver the passion. Like, I don't think my commentary is biased. I hope people don't. And there was a thing written about the Bergfine goal in the, um, on the Daily Mail. They did an article about it and it was about bias and uh, how bias is good in club TV. Uh, I, I, the article was predominantly really kind about my commentary, but it was, I, I felt it, it wasn't quite nailing the point. I'm not biased, I don't think. I'm, I'll be more passionate and give it some when Spurs score, obviously. And I really feel it. You know, it's like that Bergvine moment or the Kane goal against City or Lucas Moore against mm. Ajax. They're euphoric. You can't, you can't help yourself. It's just un, it's unreal. Um, but I would never... Fans don't want to be lied to. They can see yeah. it. If you're on there going, well, you know, say, say, uh, say the Southampton game, where Southampton did outplay Spurs. In the three two win quite comfortably, yeah. controlled the game, they were tremendous. If you came off air and went, Well, another day Spurs win four three, it was like, No, that was a loss and it was a deserved loss. You know, you can't and fans can see, you know, they call it out if you're lying to them. So I'd never, you know, I just try to not do that, just try and tell the truth, be constructive. And I do try and be positive, you know, you don't want to be, you know, just hammering these guys, you know. Um, yeah. Do you get much direction from the club? Like when you started and over time, have the club, do they provide feedback? Do they sort of try and nudge you to be more positive or perhaps even the other way if nothing, they feel like it is? Nothing. Okay. Not, no not, feedback. 
Other than, well, they 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 say they like the commentary. Okay, you know, that's good. That's good. Get, and I get, I get a contract every you know at the end of every season. I say I've got another contract, <laughs> and then that that's a normally a good thing. But that's what commentary is like. No one barely anyone gives you feedback. Fans give you feedback on Twitter, and it's normally negative and horrible. I remember coming off air once. I did a Rangers game on a Premier Sports, and that was quite intimidating because Scottish football is so um, nuanced. You know, mm. and uh, had a couple of nice people. So it was nice to have someone who clearly was not a Rangers or Celtic fan on the coverage or whatever. And then um, this guy said, where did you find this piece of S word? You must have found him at the bottom of a skip, which I really like the specific specificity of that, that I was clearly at the bottom of a big pile of rubbish. You know, I was in a, <laughs> I was in the dirtiest bin imaginable and they put me on commentary. I've always loved that one. But, you know, fans will give you a bit of feedback, but the club club don't. They've never, ever said, oh, you need to start being a bit more positive now. You, you know, not, not a peep, nothing. And um, hopefully that means I'm just roughly doing it right rather than, you know, anything else in, in particular, you know. I would say so. Um, one thing I was going to ask you about the difference between regular kind of broadcast commentary versus the club commentary. Obviously, when you're doing it for Premier TV, etc., you have a co-commentator with you, usually an ex-player. Club commentary, though, you're very much a kind of one-man band. How how is that? What's the di- what's the sort of dynamic shift in doing it? You know, you're kind of basically talking to yourself for an hour and a half when you're doing it for Spurs TV. Yeah, right? yeah. So you do sound a bit mad because you'll you can even you know, make yourself laugh. You sound out of your mind, <laughs> but hopefully it sounds you know it sounds. And normally it'll be something on the pitch that makes you laugh. And normally, like, if I say something that's even mildly funny, the gallery will get on the talk back to me and, and be laughing or something, you know, to just reassure <laughs> me that I haven't lost my mind. Um, and But you, when you do something like Spurs, I'm obviously on this dual position of calling the action and then also trying to, to the best extent I can, give tactical analysis and all that stuff that maybe a pundit would. So, mm. you know, the normal beats of TV commentary, you might not be fully aware of it, but you'll recognise it now, say it, is when a goal goes in, you see the goal, you see the celebrations. The second the replays come in, that COCOM takes over. And that's a general rule. Any replay you just give to the COCOM, and that's when Carragher, Neville, whoever it might be, will break down the goal from a tactical point of view and everything and then you as the commentator give the context and maybe try and tell the story a little bit um yeah whereas when i do spurs tv you're trying to do you're trying to do all of it as best you can now say say, say something say the goal the other day the ronaldo second right mm. so is 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 regulon regulon plays on uh, sancho doesn't he far side now yeah. i can't definitively tell you so i can see regulon plays on ronaldo and i can see that the back five is like a bit curved and Regulon's the deepest now mm. is Regulon definitely at fault there I can't say for definite I don't I don't know it might be that he didn't get caught something he's looking along the line so he should probably should be in line but is he absolutely definitely at fault I don't know for sure so that's when it's nice to have a co-commentator mm. who's an ex-player who can give you something really I know with on Premier Sports work with Gary Breen Old Ireland defender and he's unbelievable his analysis is unbelievable really underrated um, and always says something that makes me go, I didn't see that, which is what they're supposed to do, you know. I guess it's quite useful sort of uh, just training up for yourself though, right? Having to do both those sort of gigs in one. It's quite nice to sort of build that skill set. It's really fun. I mean, you know, you sort of back yourself most of the time. Mm-hmm. I mean, for you know, to do the tactical side of things, I mean, in terms of the stories and everything, you know, I'm a journalist, so you, you, you can see what the story of something is and say, yeah, uh, 
trying to think of a recent uh, a recent example. Say say something really basic, like Hummin Son against Palace. First goal of the new stadium, yeah? Cuts mm. in and, and it uh, got deflection, didn't it, on the way in. Say that goal. When that goal was in, I'll give you a hypothetical. There might be a series of headlines around that goal. It might be, it might be Son's 10th of the season. It might be his 10th in 10 games against Palace. He might have said uh, oh, he was determined to score in this game. But the, but the top story of that goal is that this is the first goal in the new stadium, obviously. Right? I'm giving mm. a really obvious example. So when goals go in, actually, my brain is really doing what's the story. And with okay. Bergvine, for example, it was like, what the hell? Really? It's like, <laughs> can you believe this? And then some non I did say some nonsensical things really around that goal, but people liked it. But the, you're trying to get to the the story as quickly as you can and say Harry Kane at City. Mm. So because we're Spurs TV, we don't really talk about club rumors and we definitely don't talk about, you know, the fact he was linked with City last summer and stuff. We don't really get into that too much. But when he scored that goal, I definitely said something about it was his his, I, did, I tried to really hammer home this, like he's, he's dominated the Etihad tonight. He, he like, I thought that sort of covered the story in a way. Yeah, yeah. Results I told the story of the game in which he destroyed, he destroyed City. He was unreal. It was the best I've ever seen him play that game. Mm. It was crazy. And so you're trying to do that. And then that stuff I feel I could do well. The tactical stuff is like, you know, you sort of give him really basic stuff. Like, oh, Romero lost Ben Mee for that cross. So he's at yeah, fault, sure. you know. <clears throat> And I just wanted to know as well about prep, particularly, I mean, obviously, you know, like you were saying, you've got those storylines that you will have worked up before your training as a journalist will absolutely help there. But in terms of actual kind of self-scripting for potential big moments, I think, you know, it's fair to say, like you said, the Bergvine sort of Kane last minute winners, those are just pandemonium. You're just going to say whatever sort of pops out. But how much how much prep do you sort of put into preparing sort of nice little kind of cute lines that would very much suit a moment pretty rare i mean a, okay. a lot of guys will say i never do it and they probably are lying <laughs> you know, you know say, say say you're commentating on the world cup final for atv yeah. 25 million viewers and you know there's a possibility hurricane scores the last minute winner you're gonna have something in your head in, you know, roughly. So I'll always go in maybe if there's something really obvious, say uh, I actually didn't do the goal call as well as I would have liked. Because the, the Kane and Son thing, I, I, uh, I, I got the stat, the goal combination thing, you know, the goal against Leeds. Yeah, yeah. And I sort of knew I wanted to do this thing about the fact they were legends, but now they're legends. Ah, this is actually a better thing to say. Legends <laughs> together. You know, something like that. Oh, that'd been a good line. But um, I knew it, but then I, I didn't deliver it quite right. I mean, things like... Um, you did get there quicker than most. I remember there was a bit of sort of Twitter chat about how I think yours was the only commentary that mentioned it within like was it? A, a minute and a half. That. Like the, the Sky commentary absolutely just like bypassed any real mention of it. You, know, you could almost could almost hear the producer sort of nudging the commentator. Going, They've they broken, broken the record kind of thing. Well, that's the thing. And, and what was great about that goal was it was like quintessential them. Yeah. Because when, when I think of Kane and Son linking up, I don't think Son's setting up Kane. I it's think weird, Kane's, isn't it? Yeah. Kane's setting up Son. So, and the fact it was like, we all know how people who watch Spurs every week know Kane passes like that every game. Mm. And he does that. And it was a, like, everything was so typical then. You know, the goal was just absolutely the perfect goal to do it in a, in a sense. And it's yeah. a brilliant goal. Um, so, um, 
so yeah so rarely but sometimes you'll want to have a rough idea up your sleeve i mean i remember half time uh united 6-1 sorry am i rambling here charlie you can tell me to shut up if you want oh don't worry i'll, t- I'll tell you to shut up when it's time <laughs> keep going half time half time united 4-1 i think it was half time yeah and i remember thinking at the break uh, oh it's such a shame there's not an away end you know, like mm. I just remember having that, like the amount of, and, and in particular, like loaded with all the misery that Old Trafford associated with Spurs fans. Like Old Trafford was just like, you know, probably a fun away day to a point and then just defeat, 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 defeat. And then um, I remember thinking that I thought, oh, that's a clear idea to express a lot of things about Spurs relationships with Manchester United, about COVID, about how mad this result was. So then when, uh, when Sir Jorier scored, I think I said it, it was either yeah, that was, or when yeah. Kane scores do you remember it? It was, uh, I think it was that goal. I think I said something like it was a game. It was a performance. Yeah. A performance that deserved a way end. So mm. I'd had the rough idea, but not the, it wasn't like, I yeah. like you know, like that reading it off a, off a thing, you know? Um, <laughs> so, yeah. I guess, yeah, you just have to watch the sort of drama unfold and react. I feel like so much of your job is just being on your toes. Right. And figuring out stuff as it, as it happens. And, as usual with Spurs, things can turn pretty, pretty <laughs> How can quickly. You prepare for them? How can you prepare for them? Honest to God. Honestly. No, it's, and that's what's so fun, you know. That's what's so fun, you know, to go to lose those games to um I've almost lost the order of them in my head, but Wolves and Southampton it being four defeats in five and then going to City and deservingly win. It yeah. made no sense. Um, made no sense. And then go to Burnley and lose, then go to Leeds and thrash them, then, <laughs> then get knocked out of the cup against Borough. Yeah, it's then thrash Everton. It's Anyway, we should um we should dive in to our our world famous Spurs seven questions now, Rob. Um, so these are the questions that we ask all our guests that we feel cover the full spectrum of the Tottenham Hotspur experience. Your Spurs origin story, please. So, how did you wind up getting involved with this preposterous football club? <laughs> so, my mum was a Spurs fan. I knew she'd like love me do it covering Spurs, and um, it was just yeah. So, twenty eighteen, and then by summer twenty eighteen. I was covering uh, my first game, the Newcastle win, the two-one win where Delhi and Jan Vertonghen scored. So, um, so yeah, that's where it began on Spurs TV. And I imagine you get very, very attached very quickly, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just I'm obsessed with the club. I mean, I was saying this to someone the other day. Like, I sort of just think about I don't know. I read everything. I listen to every pod. You know, you might have a YouTube channel with like 50 views on your videos. I'm probably one of the 50. Like, I'm just reading and listening and watching everything. And then by the time game time comes around, I'm just so pumped to see what, excited to see what, what happens. And, um, and uh, yeah, the obsession has reached concerning, concerning. I'll tell you a very brief story, actually, Charlie. I was, there was a, the day where all the Super League stuff was happening and Jose lost his job. Mm-hmm. Um, Cheryl was like, shut my wife, shut up about Spurs today. So I was like, right. So we were going out to this restaurant in Shoreditch. And I said, okay, don't talk to me. Don't let me talk about Spurs. If I bring up anything, you can just you know, t- 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 tell me whatever. And we sat down and next to us was, you know, Joe Sacramento. Joe's mm, assistant. Yeah. We just sat there having a drink with a couple oh of friends. God. Sat next to me. And I was like, I know I said I wouldn't mention Spurs, but Jose's assistant's right there. Was this after, was this after they were fired? The day of. The day so had yeah, he had he fa- had he found out the news when you were with it? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It was all everything was okay. done by that point. Everything was done okay. by that point. So um, you know, I imagine it was quite a stressful day for him, probably just but it was it was just like amazing coincidence. I said I'm really I, I showed Cheryl a picture of you know that clip of uh 
when Joe, brilliantly, when Joe Sacramento's like to the Jose, tell the fourth official he needs to get a card. You know, oh, the city, the city game, yeah. The city game. So um, I showed him that. I was like, that's him. She was like, oh, yeah. So she let me talk. And then that was it. No more Spurs after that. Just yeah. just, a, just a brief sort of two and a half hours. And then <laughs> exactly. by, the, by the time sort of puddings came out, you were, you were ready to <laughs> I was up. done. I was done. Yeah. Um, and I imagine you get, and this sort of links into my, my next question, but I imagine you get favourites as well, right, with the players. Um, you know, you're involved with the club in a way that, you know, means these aren't just sort of blokes that run around for 90 minutes. You're, you know, you get to know the personalities of everyone, etc. Have you have you sort of latched on to a few in particular? Uh, definitely Sonny. Yeah. Without, without a doubt. I mean, there's a lot to is like. He, is about. he your all-time favourite? I'll, I'll link this into the second I probably question. would. would and I, yeah. I, I, pr- I probably wouldn't. I said, that you know, I, I think fundamentally, obviously, in the modern era, even Kane's a better player. Mm. You know, Kane's a better player than him in some, but um, he would be my absolute favourite. The amount of big moments he's had, what a clearly what a great bloke he is, what yeah. a great guy he is, proper modern professional, so lovely. Everyone at the club adores him. It says a lot. It does say a lot. And mm. um, Spurs have been really fortunate to have one of the best forwards in the world. You know, we didn't know he was that, certainly off the back of his first season, did we? Yeah. That he would turn into this. I think... Um... Him signing that contract in the summer too, I think during a pretty bleak time for Spurs fans, be it the manager hunt, the Cade saga, you know, not finishing, you know, in the in the sort of top four again. I think for, for Sonny to have committed himself in that way was a huge shot in the arm that I don't think fans will forget in a hurry. And, you know, even probably though he's obviously... Yeah, sorry, probably, an un- probably an underrated... I mean, I remember there was a lot of excitement he signed the contract, but probably given how good he is, probably almost underrated how crucial that was. And maybe in a sort of pre-pandemic time when Barcelona and Real Madrid and all these clubs have all their big money, it'd be like, well, PSG want him, well, Barcelona want him, Real Madrid, you know. But it costs you loads of money. It costs you an yeah. absolute fortune now. So um, a blessing. blessing. A bl- yeah, a true blessing. And, you know, and he's just added so much. You know, I, I, I live in Tottenham and it's just so lovely on match days just for the influx of Korean flat fans that we have and, you know, to a person, they're always the most like charming, wonderful, engaging people that don't seem to just love Sonny, but seem to now have a real love for for Spurs as well. And they come and, you know, they come to the pubs, they chat to everyone. It's it's been amazing. I think that, that guy has brought so much to, to our football club. That's that so the the tour will be special, for. I think. The, the tour, South Korea tour they're doing this summer. Yeah. Special because of that. You're absolutely right. Um. Any other favourites from from your time doing the commentary that you sort maybe maybe some sort of under the radar favourites perhaps under the radar favourites who's been uh, I tell you what twenty eighteen nineteen Musa Sissoko like okay. um, he was unreal he was so the Champions unreal. League run Sissoko. Champions League run yeah because I don't think anyone necessarily saw that pairing of him and Winks being the pairing that would basically take a team. And I know, I know uh, Wanyama had some game time in that Champions League run, even when things were, when things were really depleted, but he was just, um, he was so good. He was mm. monstrously good. And it, uh, I think Sonny that year did win all the individual accolades. And then the club legends actually got together to make an award and gave, because uh, it didn't exist, I don't think. Yeah. They gave Musa Sissoko, they presented it to him at the training ground the Legends Player of the Year award, and he deserved it. You know, he was he was crazy. So that version of Musa Sissoko, in terms of like, yeah, he was yeah, and largely derided figure, really. You know, until by and that large, point, yeah, by and large until that point. So yeah. um, I'll have him in there as well. 
Um, who's your favourite terrible Spurs player? You can't say Suzuko. <laughs> I'll actually go. So I'm staying in my Spurs TV era, right? So, so yeah. I, I really did like. I, it, I mean, it didn't work, Carlos Vinicius, right? So Carlos Vinicius. Okay. Okay. Because in the Premier League, he just did not look. He didn't look Premier League worthy. Did oh he? God! Do you remember that Chelsea game? Like really depleted. Uh, that header he missed to was, would have made it one all. I think just looked yeah. so like sort of competition winning comp- uh, competition winner level. It just yeah. it wasn't it wasn't good. It wasn't right. Ah. But then he banged in all those Europa League. He got to double figures, and that was maybe what Spurs needed a little bit. They needed that guy in the Europa League to just get them through the group stage, which is exactly exactly what he did. The other thing with him, I think he was he was really likable and mm. if you ever saw his story is fascinating if you ever saw the Spurs TV content where him and Lucas Moura go to a Brazilian restaurant I don't know if you remember that but yeah and, yeah. and Carlos is getting all emotional about the I think it was the death of his mother or his father I can't remember uh, unbelievable so I think he was just couldn't believe he was he had managed to get to this sort of promised land and you know I saw him playing for PSV the other day. That's probably more his level in truth, you know. Um, he's done all right over there, isn't he? He's, doing okay. he's done okay, yeah. He's done okay. You know, and you know, playing for a top-end Dutch club or, you know, mid-range German club or, you know, mm. one of the three big boys in Portugal is probably, probably about right. But I think we're still waiting to see that Harry Kane second striker or back up the proper one. Was that perhaps the more mind-blowing thing from last summer to you that they didn't, they didn't replace Vinicius. I mean, they didn't replace Bale either, really. But well, to actually, not have any sort of backup striker at all, it was more a fo- it was more an issue in terms of. I mean, I was looking at a pure numbers point of view that you probably would have wanted another forward. It was more that uh, so out the door had gone Lamella, Lamella, Bale, Vinicius. Had anyone else? And in came Brian Hill. Was that it? In terms, in terms, of, in terms of attacking players, yeah, yeah. So it just felt like, especially with Spurs being in the Conference League, if you're solely Premier League, you know, maybe a bit like the season Arsenal having, you could probably get away with that. And then maybe you look to Dane Scarlett, whoever. Mm. But uh, it just felt like ah, Spurs just need another body, needed another body. And then, you know, it was a, a classic thing. Kane's playing, having to play Conference League and play every game. Mm. You know, a bit of the problem that the, the central midfield problem that Hoybier had to play every single second. You know, and it's probably probably hurt his form at times. The amount of f- how dependent Spurs were on him under Jose in particular. Um, but I think I think uh, I'd be amazed if that wasn't addressed in the summer. And particularly Antonio Conte, someone who likes to play with two strikers. Yeah, absolutely. I was, I so, think, yeah. I was so jazzed for that. You know, when all the Lautaro Martinez rumors were started, I was no, because I read all the rumors. Just like, I don't get told anything, so I was jazzed mm. for that. And then obviously it didn't happen. That was a fun 35 minutes when it looked like we were going to sign him. <laughs> it was that brief. It was that brief. Yeah, yeah. That really sums up a sort of Spurs summer, I think. That kind of, it was like a Sunday morning, I think. I, I was getting ready to take my daughter to football practice and got loads of texts from friends. Go, oh my God, Martinez is happening. This is, this is a thing. Like Gary Jacob in the Times <laughs> is reporting it. And then it was literally, I was getting in the car about 25 minutes later and the kind of, Ali Gold sort of tweet of doom came in, you know, kind of dismissing it's not it done. All. It's not done. It's not done. There are yeah. significant hurdles for Spurs to clear. Yeah, well, Lukaku, for a bit, I, again, I had no idea on the unit. All I read was what was in the papers at the time. There was Lukaku, mm. Inter couldn't let both of them go. That, that Something like Martinez was, they'd agreed a fee, but then Lukaku 
Chelsea yeah. then came in for Lukaku and all the I don't know who knows, but um, yeah. But it's I think they'll, like, yeah. I'll address the I think they'll address the second striker thing. As I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if it was priority one this summer. I mean, hopefully they just need one striker rather than two strikers. That's true. Too. That's very we'll true. See, we'll see what happens. Um, all right, Vinicius, your favourite terrible Spurs player. Um, talk me through, Rob, if you will, your match day ritual. So, how do you prepare for a game? So, say it's a it's a sort of Spurs. I was going to say Saturday three o'clock kickoff. That's they don't not happen, ever, yeah. ever ever the thing. <laughs> when was the last one? About three and a half years ago. Or That's something. right. Um, yeah. So it's a Sunday at some sort of god awful four thirty sort of time slot talk me through your prep for a Spurs home game yeah so I normally do probably around six to eight hours prep for for a game it might involve uh watching re-watching the previous game that the uh, the opposition have played so I might have it saved or something like that and then I'll hammer through the old highlights read watch the press conferences there's loads of stats knocking around go through all that pull my my sort of documents together and then, um, so that's a fair chunk of work. And then match mm. day will be rock up to the stadium about three hours before, pop my head into the Spurs TV gallery, go upstairs, do my sound checks, go back downstairs, get some food from the South Stand normally. And then... I'll, oh, where'd you go? Where's your preferred South the chicken, Stand? Uh, what's the chicken one called? That's the best one, I think. The, uh, so the, the, the one that's got its own sort of shop. It's got prep. its own bar, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. Like, I like having a drink down at the Beaver Town Mm-hmm. Bit of a post-match, but I think pre-match the chicken and specifically the chicken burger they do there is is the one. So I'll normally go down there, and then I might end up chatting to a couple of fans or a couple of mates who are there, yeah. and then I'll go into the press lounge because we get the team news a bit before, and I'll write down the team and do all that. Run pitch side, that's where I'll see Ben. Mm-hmm. So now we're about an hour before kickoff. Do N seventeen Ben and Marzi. That's normally about twenty five minutes, and then run up, run up. <laughs> From the ground floor to level five, where you sit and where I sit, and then try and get past everyone boozing and eating, try and get my seat before the teams come out. Is basically the that's the aim of the game by that point. I was very impressed with your sort of minute by minute uh, reporting on how you get prepped for a game. There, but thanks very much. That was that was very much the <laughs> well, best answer we've had knows, to that. Oh, that's good. That's good, mate. I like that. Um, I imagine it must be quite um, in terms of prep. It must like post January. And sort of going into a new season, getting ready for like new signings and new players and having to sort of, I imagine, dive into the sort of depths of sort of football YouTube videos and weird sort of Euro trance soundtracks, sort of Benson Kerr, oh, yeah, six yeah. minute compilations must be a lot of that. Yeah, I, I, I sort of like it, you know, and it, particularly with Benson Kerr, I'd seen a lot of Benson Kerr anyway because of the champions league but then it was mm. it, sometimes those they get derided you know those things that have like trance underneath them or whatever but they're actually <laughs> they're actually normally quite good indicators of what a player is and um but i also like particularly in the conference league in europa league i liked watching like highlights of the opposition and trying mm. to work out exactly what because you know, I, I don't watch mura week in week out or whatever you know or even ren i don't watch much liga so it's really nice when you get a feel for a team and a player yeah. exactly work out what was coming. And then when you sort of sat on N17, for example, and then it is what they do, it feels quite rewarding. Like you've actually given people something mildly useful. Um, what have you made of the two new boys, by the way? No, I'm so impressed that, that two really brilliant signings, I think. I think Benton Court is doing um, a lot of basic things really well. And you could tell the second he went in the team, 
that's what Spurs have been missing. Mm-hmm. Kulisevsky, I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'll go to Kulisevsky. I'm amazed how quickly he's, he's adapted to the Premier League. I can't believe it. I can't believe how at home he looks in the league, his ball retention, his strength, his weight of pass. He does have an eye for a goal. I d- he's really young. He's 21. I didn't th- I yeah. thought it'd take a while. I thought that's why it was like 18 months. But, you know, I got the logic of it a little bit. It was like, mm. I thought this would be just a betting in period. No, he's, 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 got, he's ahead of Lucas now, isn't he, really, on the right wing? And then Bentancur fixes, to a large extent, an issue I've had with the way Spurs play is that they... I wonder, actually, if it manifests from the Mourinho era and the willing to concede possession but still mm. have control that, you know, they can have the ball, but we're in control because they can't get through and we'll counterattack and score. That the team actually on the ball now, or not under Conte necessarily, under Nuno certainly, did not look comfortable. Did no. not, and you never felt they were going to dominate a game for 60. It's hard to dominate a game in the Premier League for 90 minutes and have control of the ball and dictate what's happening. But Southampton, for example, came to Spurs the other week and, and I'd say controlled the ball for 70 minutes of yeah. a 90-minute match. I think that's the that is the fundamental issue. It's it's controlling games and Bentancur gives Spurs a bit of that. I feel like, and I think is um, just that that composure to receive the ball anywhere on the pitch. I think Spurs haven't had a figure like that since Dembele. Hundred percent, yeah. And you know, I think we were spoiled for a long time because you could give the ball to Dembele or Wanyama or even Eric Dyer during that sort of period, which now feels like about 700 years ago when he was <laughs> England's kind of premier defensive midfielder. Defensive midfielder but, um, yeah, yeah. You know, we were, we were really blessed with that sort of security and possession for a long time. And then it kind of all went to sort of glorious shit for a long time. Yeah, where no, you would, no one could get the ball anywhere without panic sort of breaking out everywhere. You'd feel it. You could mm. feel the nervous energy of a ball being played to a player with their back to goal. They know someone's tight to them and yeah. rush out of play. Or I feel like Benton core, and I think Skip has this ability as well. We haven't seen much of Skip recently because of his injury, yeah. but I feel like the two of them have got the kind of control that Spurs are desperately have been desperately crying out for. Do you think that could be the combination? Yeah, going forward? yeah, I think it could. And even if it ends up being a midfield three, I think mm. Hoybier's best attribute is win it, give it, win it, give it. He can play as we saw for the Leicester goal that low uh, drilled ball into Kane, you know, from deep and with his back to goal or whatever it might be. Hoybier can play that pass, but he doesn't run a game. He doesn't run mm. a game, you know, like other midfielders. And I think he's been asked to do the job of like two or three central midfielders, especially when he's playing alongside Tongi, who uh, didn't do as much defensive work as required and wanted to be around the penalty area a bit more and all that. So, you know, um, either that as a midfield three in some incarnation or the skip Bentacle, but we haven't seen it yet. So we'll, we'll probably get it together in a goal. This doesn't work. It doesn't work at all. <laughs> Um, you mentioned one of the great divisive names of Tottenham Hotspur's recent past there, Rob, very briefly. Um, someone who very much, particularly on the internet, I think splits the fan base almost down the middle, Tongi and Dombele. Where, which side of the divide are you, do you reckon? Uh, didn't you love him? Like I, I did, but exactly. I must admit it, was, it got a bit wearing, right? I mean, it was hard to defend someone that... And I don't... I don't mean to say this because I feel like I don't mean to say it's in a sort of personal way that I'm kind of digging him out, but I just don't think everyone is physically cut out to play in the Premier League. I just don't think that, I don't believe that he was turning up for training and not doing anything, for example, or he was going home and ordering like 50 quids worth of McDonald's and that was his afternoon sorted. I just don't know physically, and I'd also say the same for Lo Celso, quite honestly, in a different way, but 
I just think some players are built for different leagues. And I just don't know that unless you were going to build a team around him, which, you know, Spurs have had a history of doing. I think to someone like Van der Vaart, perhaps, where the whole sort of team was set up to ensure that he really didn't have to do that much running. He could just sort of sprinkle his magic across a game. And that was what, you know, we were happy with. And there was a period, right, where Tongi was allowed to just play as the number 10, wasn't asked to do an awful lot of defensive stuff. And it looked like for about, you know, two or three months that Jose had kind of cracked the Ndombele riddle. But I just, not Conte. I don't think it was ever going to work with him. No, and I think that the most indicting thing in a sense for Ndombele's Spurs career is that it wasn't just, I mean, Jose was saying this and we didn't know if it was like tough love Jose's tough love kind of deal. Ryan Mason didn't give him a kick as yeah. interim manager. Clearly, Nuno didn't fancy him because he didn't play in the first three games and we all thought he was going to be one of those out. And he had the whole summer. It's like he came back early, if I seem to remember. He was like fit for the... Apparently, he was fit for the first time in the pre... Yeah, it was... No, I think I think it became apparent then and then he then Nuno... Things went bad and Nuno started mm. playing him. He scored against Newcastle and... You were like, oh, maybe they do need him in the team. And then it just wasn't happening again. And then Conte just came in and went, he's not, he's not for me. He's not for me. So I don't, I don't know what's going to happen with Tongi. Players have been sent out on loan by Conte before. And like Ivan Perisic and come back and been in incredibly yeah. important. Um, but I, I'd be, truth to be told, I'd be surprised. And it's also sad because he looked like, it looked like Spurs had got it right. It looked like he was an unbelievably good player. Uh, but maybe, maybe, not, maybe not a Premier League player. Not a Premier League mm. player. Not everyone is. Same with also, I think, quite honestly. I just think some, like I said, some players just physically seem to be built for this league. And I think Kulisevsky and Bentenker actually seem to be good examples where they're Absolutely. just... I think this is what Conte's saying, isn't it, really? Yeah. Conte, Conte's been saying this, not necessarily in the most, you know, uh, discretionary code imaginable, but that, that some of the players that are not Premier League players, he's explicit, you know, and... Mm. Um, and as soon as Kulisevsky was here, he was hammering. I love hard work. I love the physicality of the Premier League. He was straight on it. Um, so um, I think he's going to be. I think yeah. he's going to be a superstar next so season. So do I. So do I. I think it's sort of fifteen to twenty goals, like a lot of assists. Yeah, yeah it's going to be. A, do you like his superstar. chant, Charlie? You know his. Um, have you heard his chant? <laughs> gimme, gimme, gimme a, a ginger from Sweden. As a fellow oh, ginger it's... person, I absolutely uh, love it. I was hoping. Um, I was hoping we might have heard it against Everton, but I no. Didn't... I didn't, it didn't, I mean, maybe it's, on it's social I mean, media, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you must feel this, Rob. Our sort of chant game is so terribly poor at Spurs that I was, I was thrilled that this was going to perhaps be a, a new thing. And well, yeah, I love not bespoke chants. I love bespoke. Mm. Uh, Liverpool have got an absolute belter at the moment about uh, Diogo Jota. It's really, really good. And, and that's why the, Gimme, gimme, gimme. I thought, oh, brilliant. Because I think Liverpool, Liverpool are very good at it. Liverpool create quite bespoke. And yeah. Man United are. They're both, they're, you know, they're both fan bases that are really good at creating both bespoke uh, chants. So um, I haven't lost hope for that gimme, gimme, gimme a ginger from Sweden chant. I'm still hoping that the South Stand tears into that. You know, but Maybe... what was nice? Yeah. Go on, go on. No, it was nice when Delhi got his farewell. That, you know, we've got Ali, you know, was being belted out. That was lovely, actually, the other night against Everton. It was nice, yeah. Mate, yeah, mate, that night was more about Delhi than perhaps um, sort of <laughs> yeah. rubbing rubbing Everton's noses in it that we've got better <laughs> players. Um, I reckon, I reckon it will take. Kulisevsky needs a home goal. I think if he perhaps scores against West Ham, then oh, maybe that's a that's, good that's point. Moment. Very good point. 
I like he's that, only mate. scored he's only scored away from home so far, hasn't he? That's so right, maybe yeah. he just needs that that sort of uh, joyous moment in front of the South Stand. Imagine sixty two thousand can... people going, gimme, gimme, gimme. <laughs> it'd, be, it'd be fantastic yeah <laughs> um right let's change things up a bit uh give me your all-time favorite spurs shirt please rob um i really like the pony one with the i'm going to use the word lilac so it like it's a it's white where is it let me go, let me get this right it like da, 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 da. not that one not that one i want to get the description right here Okay. It had like a lilac-y kind of collar and the pony emblem down the side. And I like the pony. Do you remember the pony blue one with the cream sleeves and then gold trim? Do you remember that one? Yeah. That was, I want to say like 97, 98 or something. Mm -hmm. Like I love blue and gold. It's like I love kits that are blue and gold and black and gold and that kind of thing. So I like them. But I think the, the third one this season is a classic. I think that's Hang on, do you mean the do you mean the purple and green one or the the black, black the, bl- the, the one that's like a base one. the space one? I don't know. The, actually, the, the away one is, is that the, the away, away one? one. Oh, yeah. sorry, that no, one. No, no, no. <laughs> I'm being like needlessly <laughs> nicotine about that. It's like <laughs> Mate, scalding I'm you for not getting right. I'm the most pedantic person in the world. So don't worry about <laughs> that. So the second one for this season, and I really liked actually uh, the one from the Champions League semi-final Ajax. That I think the whole idea of it was that there was like North London, wasn't it? Wasn't it a map of Tottenham in the top N17, of it? Yeah, sort of typography thing. Loved yeah. it. Loved that kit. So, um, yeah, you know, there's loads of classic home ones, but a lot of the away ones actually stick out. And I guess it's about moments as well, right? I mean, that that Ajax sort of, yeah, the, the kind of green kit. I don't think many people were particularly fond of that shirt at all when it, um, when it first... Maybe I wasn't either, your- but... Yeah. It was probably your first. I think we wore that in your first game. Exactly, first they did. They did. So, if I remember, yeah, great memory. Um, yeah, and I remember when that came out, everyone was like, "What the Christ of Nike done now?" But um, <laughs> I liked uh, it. Mate. I was into. I liked it. it. I mean, I kind of like wild, crazy shirts, particularly yeah. sort of third shirts. I feel like if you're going to go mad, then on you the do third. it on the third shirt, right? But yeah. um, do, do you feel like Nike's sort of output? How do you feel like that's been on the whole? I mean, there's not. I don't think there's a great deal you can do with the home one. I don't think mm. there really. I mean, uh, what I would love here's what I'd love Nike to do. I would love a pinstripe. I would Ooh, for, I would, for the home. For the home, I would love like a mega light, quite spaced out. I love pinstripe kits. I think pinstripe kits are my peak. So I would love a really subtle, maybe like a grey pinstripe or some kind of like mega light blue. And then really dark sleeve collar. That's what I'd like to. I'd like to see because what else can you do really? You know, blue trim, white shirt. There's not a lot you can do. But I feel like the away shirts have been. I even like the you know the sky blue one, which had Nike written like it is on like Nike Air. You know that. Yeah, one? that was that, that deserved better. That kit. That was the, the original <laughs> sort of Nike because I mean that's that right. was like proper sort of potch. Bag end of Poch's era, Jose coming in, all those like miserable Champions League games. I remember, yeah, just not a lot of joy. There probably happening. is a rotten away day somewhere in Europe that actually is associated with that kit in my mind, probably. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like the purple and green one to me this season is just like Mura away, which I think, yeah. I was trying to figure out if that's the, is that the lowest point of this season so far? I should probably add so far because God knows Mura, what happened, but... uh, Mura away. Yeah, probably. Because that was last minute, wasn't it? That was like 
Spurs, all they had to do was draw to basically like, I mean, not that it, it became moot entirely because Spurs obviously got kicked out <laughs> of that. I think that was the lowest. And then I think, but it, uh, I felt like Southampton was the most sort of damaging in terms of, I mean, the Conference League is a funny old thing, isn't it? And that was obviously embarrassing. The Murrah defeat was mm. embarrassing, but I felt like Southampton was more damaging. But yeah, the Murrah game, it was just like, what? has happened now I mean that's the mad thing about this season when you think back to like the peaks and troughs that Spurs have gone through but obviously the you know the Nuno kind of era if you can call it an era and you think back to the sort of highs of that City game opening day which was I don't know about you but that for me was about as unified and just heartwarming a place that I've seen the stadium the City since it's opened the 1-0 I, yeah. I remember going into the studio N17 actually because that's on the fourth floor because we were doing it in the mm. studio then and going into Ben because uh, I was on with Ben after the game and I was like oh my god that was unreal like the stadium you can feel it like it was I mean there was a lot of stuff going on there was like the Harry Kane Harry wasn't involved obviously and then to beat City you know they had Grealish on the left wing and Tanganga just mm. dominated every play it was all of it you know an academy player stopping 100 million pound Grealish 50 million pounds sterling. There was loads of stuff in there. Um, yeah, I think you're, pro- you're probably right in terms of like just pure joy. That was probably the, the best it's been actually. And then, yeah, a few weeks later, they're getting thrashed by Arsenal and, you know, Palace. And uh, actually, lo- maybe Arsenal away that first half. That was pretty low, wasn't it? That was rough. Very rough. That was maybe the, that was maybe the worst I've seen a Spurs team play in about 15 years. I'd was say. it really, mate? Just in terms yeah. of like how inept they were set up and yeah. how devoid of passion the players looked. They just looked like they'd completely given up on it at that point. And he probably yeah. should have gone after that, I think. Because um, he won his, <laughs> won his first Manager of the month. Manager of the manager month. Manager of the month. <laughs> it was cra- I'm sure you could, there'll be dissertations about what happened in that two or three months about uh, trying to work out. Exa- there'll be a, you could write like a dossier on, on Mourinho's um, era, but there might be a, someone's got to analyse what happened with Nuno. Yeah, maybe more of a pamphlet, but um, someone will do it for sure. Um, right, sixth question: Your Spurs heaven and your Spurs hell, Rob. So, when have you been? When have you felt like the place has been at its real peak, and then when's been the absolute most miserable time to be There's doing what like, you do? Yeah, I mean, the, the opening in the stadium felt really that mm. was a special night. You know, it was a low key uh, opening ceremony, but I really liked it. I really loved the opening ceremony that um, Spurs had, and I think it was the same. I think the Harringay Vox Choir who came in for the uh, for the Ukraine thing on the Everton game. I think there was some of the same. I forget. It yeah, be, yeah, same, I read that too. Same choir. Um, so um, yeah, but it's tough to it's tough to beat Ajax away, isn't it? Really. I mean, mm. and and uh, what was the game? Was it Bournemouth at home where Lucas scored three? I want to say maybe it was the first home game after Ajax. Was it Huddersfield? I think it Huddersfield. 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 Sorry, mate. Huddersfield. Uh, the place was just like. Like, it was party. I, it was a party. I, yeah. It was a party, and I was down in the again. I was down in the South Stand. People were down there for ages. They were down there for ages, just still singing about Lucas and Delhi and what had happened and the fact they were in the Champions League final. It was just you know, brilliant. Yeah, so probably around probably around that time. I've um, we've spoken about it on the podcast before, and guests have said the same. That month, because it was a really long time between the end of the Premier League season and ages, the ages, ages, like a yeah. full month. That period. <laughs> I think we all allowed ourselves at least like three weeks just to sort of, and I remember walking home 
Is it the Everton? I think we played Everton last game of the season. That's, that's right, yeah. 2-2. Two, 2-all, two. Two yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I remember walking back and going through Bruce Castle Park and you could still hear, I was sort of in the South Stand for ages, but the party was just still going. You could hear the music for sort of miles around and there was just this, yeah, it was like we were kind of sending our boys off to, you know, go and sort of win and us on the a good, cup. And, and, was, on a, and on a good note, because Spurs hadn't actually qualified for the Champions League uh, I think they only needed you know, Arsenal or at Burnley or something like that. I can't remember. What, and it had to be Spurs lost or Arsenal won and there was a crazy goal difference. It was basically yeah. on. And yeah. then, um, um, and then there, there was that, that was all loaded in there. Pippin Arsenal again to fourth and uh, Champions League. It, it did feel like that, mate. It was like, off you go, boys. We'll see you in a few weeks in, uh, in Madrid. And um, yeah, that was, a, that was a special time. Yeah. And then uh, 12 seconds into the final, that was basically it. Uh, anyway. It didn't, it didn't take long for things to happen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, your Spurs hell, when's been, and I suppose in your job too, when, when's it been the toughest to sort of get on the mic and try and, because, you know, you, you are there to sort of obviously supply context and be very realistic and pragmatic about what's happening, but you also have to inject that passion, you know, try and be positive about things as well. When's that been toughest? Well, I think there's obviously been like, I could talk about obvious uh, embarrassing defeats. So there's been, say, Colchester League Cup, say, Borough. Don't forget other, about that. Yeah, yeah I know. That was, that was Troy Parrott up front that night. So that was Colchester. There was Mora, Vitesa, all those like horrible. Uh, Dinamo Zagreb was really low. Was oh. obviously that. That I know. I'm sorry to be putting you through. No, 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 no. But, but there was, <laughs> was a game that achieved for that really stands out in my head, which was um, Chelsea came to the stadium one one nil. Tuchel had been in charge for about eight days. Tuchel, he'd had the, he'd had two games in charge, and he'd drawn one nil nil where they passed the ball too much against Wolves, I think, and then they won. Then they came to Spurs and were fantastic. They were just. Do you remember they were just doing overload after overload? It was like they had like five wingbacks either side, and they I remember, should have won about six nil. And yeah, we somehow but, going back to Vinicius, we somehow had that chance to equalise. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. that's right, that's right. And I, I remember going in, and we were on N seventeen, and just saying, "There's just no, you know, just being sort of in awe of the fact that Chelsea, in the space of su- such a short space, they got unbelievable play. Like we can't deny it. Loads of money, unbelievable players, but in that short space of time, Tuchel had done that work." And Jose had been in the Spurs job for quite a while at that point, I think about 15 months. And the team just was nowhere near the level of, of Chelsea. Chelsea didn't look like a, it wasn't new manager bounce. That was tactical brilliance. And of course that manifested in a winning the Champions League. I just really remember that game thinking, oh, this is, this is a bit concerning maybe. This is a bit concerning that Spurs didn't give Chelsea more of a game. And obviously Chelsea ever since really have had like a bit of a hoodoo, haven't they? Even when Chelsea were in bad form this season, they've managed to beat Spurs. So that one sticks out probably. Um, I feel like I've got to ask you as well. These are obviously challenging times for football. You mentioned Chelsea. There's a ton of stuff going on around the world that is impacting our sort of day-to-day as football fans. How, how do you feel, you know, taking on that broader context when you're talking about football, when you're commentating about football? Does it kind of weigh on you? Do you feel the pressure to acknowledge stuff like that? How do you see the state that football is in even right now? Do you mean overall, mate, every, everything going on? Or do you I mean... I think Spurs, so, yeah. Spurs, yeah. I mean, Spurs, you know, Spurs are sort of not quite, in, for once, not in the eye of this storm, it feels like right now. But yeah, in, as, a, as a person, you know, who is in, within things, football... Yeah, there are things that make football unlikable at times, aren't there? 
the things that you and the, uh, not necessarily the actual mechanics of the game like the game is the game and it's always brilliant but the stuff that's around football i mean you know eddie howe and his newcastle press conferences and what's happening at Chelsea. How, how do you feel how do you feel about, that's, a, that's a question i feel like i i want to ask you as well the questions that howe is facing right now you've being a football reporter, would you would you be asking him those questions? Do you think they're fair? I'd like to think so. Oh, they're a hundred percent, hundred percent fair game. Absolutely. Yeah. Eddie took that job, and mm-hmm. you know, um, he, I'm not I'm not that enam- I'm not enamoured with his answer, but he mm. he has his tactic. He's he's compartmentalised it and saying, well, it's things the same every time. Um, I'm a football manager. I'm here to manage a football team, and that's what I'm going to talk about. Yeah. It, it actually, I think what's happening now, and look, there's like I'm not the most politically savvy person in the world, but we know that Russia Ukraine is a separate issue, but it's highlighting Eddie Howe's issue and the Newcastle yeah. United's issue. And I wonder, I mean, I was asking a few ex pros the other day, even like, do you think this will make players consider a bit who they play for, even if it means making more money? How many players will look at Newcastle United and say, I could earn another two mil a year if I go there, but it doesn't sit right. I, mm. I think that will be interesting. And if, and if players start getting asked, I think that's interesting. I'm not mm. judging any player. I'm not really. I just think that will be an interesting line to see where this goes because it does leave you feeling a bit icky, doesn't it? Sometimes, you know, it does. It's tough, you know, and I think back to even the, the Super League stuff, you know, and I guess bringing it back to Spurs and, you know, I felt like Ryan Mason was sort of left to answer. I think that's a very different situation to what Eddie Howe is sort of experiencing right now. But, you know, football managers have to sit there and take it and they have to answer these questions and they have to be prepared to sort of understand why people are asking them. And I don't think in this instance with Howe and I guess Guardiola is probably going to start getting more questions again. I think that started the other day, in fact. And mm. um, again, I was surprised by the, some of his handling of it. I think Thomas Tuchel's been an interesting listen on it, actually. Um, and, you know, even criticising the fans at saying Roman Abramovich's name during the, uh, the minute of appreciation and um, reflection, sorry, for the people in Ukraine. I think it was, it was um, good to see him do mm. that. So um, I think it's going to be interesting to see how, or maybe in a year's time we'll all forget it all. I hope it's an eye-opening moment for football, not just in this country, but, but European football. I mean, I was even in the car today, Charlie, thinking about PSG and going, what is this even, what even is this PSG thing? They've ruined the league that, you know, to an extent, the competition at the very top. I know they didn't win the league last year, but it's distorted the competition, distorted the financial market. Their fans don't even enjoy it. They're booing Messi and Neymar. I don't really know. Going out of the champion, I don't know what it is. You know, I don't know what, what that really is now, that project. But um, And it's it's interesting because I think the club just assume, oh, if we win the Champions League, it'll be fine. The fans, that's all they want. They just want the Champions League, same as us. And to read the statement that the sort of ultras or whatever the PSG sort of hardcore fans are called, you know, they made no mention of the this, That's not the point to them. It's not about, oh, yeah, we'll shut up if we win the Champions League. It's about just feeling that the club isn't a sort of marketing exercise or a, or sports washing or, you know, they want some sort of, they want to be able to identify with the football club. Well, that they have, exactly. You know. clubs, clubs are an extension of yourself. So mm. if, you, if, if your club does something embarrassing that you don't agree with, 
or if they lose an in and that's why defeats are so hurtful. It's because they do feel like an extension of yourself. You want to feel they represent you in the best way, which is why you so often feel fan, you hear fans say, we just want to see the players trying and all this kind of yeah. thing. You know? yeah. um, so I think people, it feels very personal when your club does something that you, you know, find egregious or morally disagree with. And um, mm. yeah, let's see. I, I don't think the PSG owners are going anywhere anytime soon. I'd be very surprised, but it was an, a, a, you know, unbelievably embarrassing defeat the other night. Just unbelievably yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. Um, right. Let's, let's sort of shivvy along a little bit. Um, where are you with Spurs right now, Rob? Question seven. What, okay. what do you reckon? How, how positive are you? How negative are you? <laughs> it depends what games just happened. <laughs> I think I still, um, you know, it, Conte's deal is not long. It's 18 months. And so he's probably got like 15 months of it or whatever it is left. I don't, I don't quite know. If he stays and if he stays for a long time, I am unbelievably positive because I'm already, even the Man United game, I think, you know, everyone felt deflated by the result and it was they're very damaging for the, it might, it, it might be very damaging for top four, obviously. Um, but there was so much in there that I, you can see it's happening, that what he wants is happening. And the way they're playing the ball, the way they're scoring goals and creating chances, there are still deficiencies for sure. Um, and I think there's a lot of that feeling that pe- I think the reason fans are so worried about Conte, you know, leaving or, you know, even be it after 18 months is that I think fans deep down are seeing it. They're seeing his tactics, his, the improvements, what he wants. Sure, Harry Kane saying, you know, we're all behind Antonio Conte. We believe in what he's doing. So at the moment, it feels, it really feels like a, knife edgy kind of time doesn't it really and um it depends on Conte and Kane and getting top four or not getting top four but overall I think I'm optimistic and yeah um you know I think I think the club have acknowledged acknowledge now that change has to be made in terms of the personnel of the squad regardless of who's the manager you know it's been plugging along with a lot of the same players and it just hasn't been working so I think mm. the summer will be exciting we'll see some smart changes I think in terms of the playing squad um, so in general, I'm optimistic. Yeah. I, yeah, same. I think that, you know, even stripping away the sort of melodrama of is Conte going to walk, is Kane going to be there? I think when you watch Tottenham Hotspur play right now, if you stuck, my, my brother said this to me the other day, if you stuck into wing backs from last season in this Tottenham team right now, if you had Perisic and Hakimi, obviously two outstanding players, but I think even if you had two sort of actual wing backs that can do what Conte wants to do on a semi-regular basis, I think Spurs would walk top four. I think, you know, they are yeah. getting into... The, yeah. I do, because I just think the, the ball that they're getting down there, there are opportunities to score, all you know, time and time and time again. And I think the the sort of system is there. I think the, the way the play is being built up, particularly with Benton Kuhn now there, I think you can... I think you're right. You can see with your eyes what is happening. I just don't know that yet the personnel is there to sort of execute the the master plan. Hopefully in the summer that happens. But like you say, there's a lot of um, ifs and buts and maybes. And, you know, of course with Spurs, there's always the added sort of Arsenal terror that not only might Spurs slip up, but we'll have to watch Arsenal sort of walk gloriously through the top four gates again. And Absolutely. You know, Which could well happen. I mean, they, they look like... I mean, team. odds on now, I'd, I'd say, right? I think yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's a bit of a... Yeah, it's always the way with Tottenham. It's just, you know, our, our success is usually Arsenal's cost and vice versa. But um, yeah. we should be positive. Um, 
he says rather <laughs> for about five um, minutes yeah yeah for about five minutes um final question rob um can we get a culture recommendation from you please so again we ask this of everyone it can be an album a tv show a film a book an exhibition somewhere you've eaten that you've loved anything at all can i do three quickly of course you can of course you can uh first one is uh, the new album from x orange county so uh absolutely love rex orange county i think he's an unbelievable talent he's just got his new uh, album out who cares and mm-hmm. um i love everything he does i've seen him if you live quite a few times real name alex i can't remember his surname but um my dog's name rex because of rex orange county and it's ah. a big name, obviously um me and my wife walked down to his music on our wedding day out of the church and um which, which song it was actually his cover of the um the strong f- song from a toy story um uh, you got a friend in me and he actually had who was he who uh, recorded that randy, New- randy newman and he has it they do it together so randy newman oh, i didn't rex, know that rex asked him can i cover it and then he said i want to be on it so they do it together so we walked out to church that so i love him and i think um his new albums again it's just really special it's i don't know what you call it bedroom pop or something i'm not quite sure what category it falls into but he also uses like unusual chord progressions and uh, like jazzy kind of sounds in the middle of pop songs that he keeps them interesting for like such a long time and um his best stuff i was thinking when he does something with tyler the creator the rapper tyler the creator there's they've got a song on there together again they always do something together open a window it's just like a killer so that's just out so that's my music um and then i'll go twitch right on twitch right now the scottish comedian limmy is doing un Believe, do you like Limmy? Do you know Limmy, Charlie? Are you a fan of Limmy? I do like Limmy. I wouldn't say like I'm a super fan, but I feel like my friends just are constantly like WhatsApp groups are usually alive with some sort of Limmy content. Right now, and... what he's doing on Twitch is insane. It's, so he has, he's got this, uh, there's this sort of adult version of Minecraft that I'd never heard of before called Rust. Where you sort of survive, okay. but you can kill each other. And he's paying for this so- server and all these other streams are on the server, but he's the owner of the server. And it is so, and I love everything he does. His books, his um, I have seen him do, live in London, somewhere at Hammersmith. His TV shows, his sketches, everything he does, I think he's unbelievably rude, so funny. And what he's doing right now on Twitch, you know, if I wasn't talking to you, I'd be watching him for definite because he's on right now. Is just so funny and unique and compelling. And there's all these narratives about revenge because people are genuinely screwing over each other, people in his, in his server, and then they're avenging each other. It's just, I know it's a weird cultural reference, but. Um, I don't know if that really works in the, for recommendations, but I think it's just no, it does. It it's does. like compelling sure. viewing at the minute what the, what they're doing on there. And my final one would be uh, the Kanye documentary on uh, on Netflix right now. I've seen, I've not seen the third one, but I've seen the opening two. And um, my wife's a documentary maker; she works documentaries, and it's just a really interesting the way they've done it. The guy's done it. Have you watched it, Charlie? Have you seen I've it? I've seen all. Yeah, we finished a couple of days ago the last one. Yeah, so I just think what that cootie's done with it because I thought. Um, He'd inserted himself in. Originally, I was like, ooh, he's put himself in this a bit too. I was worried it was going to be self indulgent and trying to like piggyback Kanye as if they did it together and all this stuff. But actually, it's so key to the narrative. I think it's a really interesting piece of documentary making. The footage's unreal, isn't it? Mm. The stuff he's got on tape is crazy. Him rapping around I mean, the office, you know. Almost, um, almost unparalleled in terms of someone that culturally important to get that level of yeah insight and just footage you know just the raw footage alone 
of someone that was on the brink of such megastardom. I don't know if I've ever seen anything quite like it. No, it's crazy. And like genuine like um, moments where he's rapping to Jay-Z and it doesn't feel like fake. Jay-Z's just like, I didn't know you could, I didn't know yeah. you could do that. You know, these feel, they feel sincere. Those moments with Pharrell and um, they feel, and Moss Def and everything, they feel like sincere moments and you're seeing it happen in real time. And he's very likable. Kanye's mm. arrogant, but very likable in it. Haven't got to episode three yet. I think that just came out uh, the other day, didn't it? So, but um, I think just yeah, let's just- let's have a chat. Let's have a chat after episode three because that will that will that takes a lot of digestion. <laughs> that that one does it That's, really? Oh, no, I mean, it's, like- yeah, just in a sort of it obviously brings you pretty much up to date and covers. He's not, being a, he's not being uh, very pleasant right now, is he at all? So, um, it's, I think he's going through an awful lot, and yeah. it's 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 tough to watch. But again, I think you know this is someone who. It's just so has been so vital to sort of culture really for such a long time that it's just remarkable to get this kind of insight into such a complicated character. But yeah, let's have a chat after episode three. Okay, come uh, up to um five oh five where I am, and then uh, after home. You're very you're very brave giving your giving your coordinates away in the stadium. Oh, should I not? Should I not do that? (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anyone cares where I am, and there's also like security in the way. (laughs) But I don't think um. All right, well, if on the, we'll meet up on the fifth floor then somewhere and um, we can digest that third episode. Absolutely. We'll get, some, we'll get a chicken burger downstairs. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every Perfect. time. Rob, that was such a pleasure. Thank you so much for your company and your time. Um, it's been a real privilege chatting to you about Tottenham and everything else. Really loved it. Loved it, mate. I, know I've t- I feel like I've taken up your time, actually, because I've been rambling on, but it's been really nice. I love talking about Spurs and, um, and, uh, and Rex Orange County, obviously. Well, this is what we're here for to indulge Absolutely. all those passions. This is this um, is your 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 unique selling point, isn't it? Your USV. We try, we try. Um, yeah. Well, listen. Best of luck for the rest of the season. Let's hope it ends on a nice, positive note for everyone. And yeah, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Charlie. Um, not at all, Rob. Thank you very much. Um, I've been Charlie. That was Rob Daly, and you've been listening to a very special episode of Hometown Glory. Thank you for listening. Yeah.